0: Hey, gotta hit record. Protectors Podcast. We're in episode 300 plus now. I don't even, I keep saying that every time. When I hit 400, I'll say 400. But today I have an excellent guest, former Central Intelligence Agency. <laughs> I'm gonna go, Mark. What's going on, Mark? How you doing?
1: I'm doing great. You didn't try to pronounce my last name,
0: though. So uh, yeah, I wasn't even going anywhere there. Nowhere <laughs> near your last. How do you pronounce your last name?
1: <clears throat> it's Polymoropolis And uh, I, I always tell the same dumb story, but it's, uh, it's it, uh, I still enjoy it. I was, I was in the Middle East in a CIA station back in 2006, and the president's daily briefers called me up and asked me um, a question on this, you know, one of these breaking crises. Uh, I was the deputy station chief, and they were going down to see George W. Bush W. And uh, and so I gave him my two cents. I was pretty pumped. You know, it's not it's a, it's a pretty big deal president's going to hear what I have to say. And and I waited by the secure phone a couple hours later and they called me and I said, Hey, how, you know, how'd the session go? They're like, it was awesome in the oval. And I said, well, you know, what did, what did the president think about what I had to say? And they said, well, actually we just spent the whole time trying to pronounce your last name. So uh, <laughs> that's my claim to fame. And uh, no, but it's a, it, it, it's a, it's a name where my kids say this too. No one ever forgets you. So I think in the, you know, it's a, there's a, there's a good part of it.
0: No, there's the, there's no way, but when you do go to the bookstore or Amazon or anything look for mark Polymopris. Ma- palimopolis there you go the clarity <laughs> and crisis leadership lessons from the cia now it's um it's really cool and i think now like the, with all these different lexicons and stuff like when you do these briefings they're actually asking you for the phonetic spelling of it it's like it's funny it's like yep. how do you like cuz my lesson is piccolo and it's always like piccolo Poccolo, Right? Yeah. It, it's like come on it's not even that hard it's an instrument or if you go even way back, it's Brian Piccolo from the Bears. So it's
1: I was just know. gonna say that. That's right.
0: And funny story, because you just came out of Philly. So my wife goes to Philly with the FBI, and it, she's so used to having a last name Piccolo now. So everybody's usually, are you related to Brian Piccolo? She goes to Philly and they're like, Hey, uh Piccolo, last name. Are you related to Tony the Buck Piccolo, who ran like the Philly mob back in the <laughs> yes, day? I love and it. it's like, yeah, Tony Piccolo. I'm like, I have an uncle, but it's different, man. But, you know, you're doing a lot of stuff when it comes to, you know, working with police departments, working with sports teams, uh, excellent career with the agency. You get out. um, Anybody wants to Google your name, they're going to find out all your backstory with that stuff. But one of the big reasons I wanted to have you on today was talking about resiliency and dealing with mental health. And, you know, going back and having a, a 20 plus year, 20, is it 29 years or 26 years? Six years. Yeah, that's a long time in the government, you know, and you and I are both probably around the same age frame when it comes to the government time and service. And it's like, you know, if you could go back to the beginning. So let's go back to the beginning. You get into the agency. What did you go in as a um, uh, as like a desk officer first or how did how does that work? Were you clandestine? I was uh,
1: was in uh, in grad school, but uh, so I I grew up a middle class kid from New Jersey Um, and I was born in Greece. My dad was Greek. My mom was American. Um, you know, uh, I was born in Athens, uh, and then they moved when I was one, uh, maybe one month old. So, you know, just a, a middle-class New Jersey kid from central Jersey, um, went off to Cornell university, got my undergraduate and master's there. And there was, a, you know, CIA recruiter at a career fair. So I went and I talked to them. and I, I originally came in as an analyst and I did that for the first, I think two years. Um, I had a master's degree kind of focus was on the Middle East and, and kind of Islamic, uh, uh, you know, uh, resistance movements, particularly in Algeria. Um, uh, as a country that, you know, eventually really went downhill. But but I saw I worked as an analyst for for uh, a couple of years. My first job was on the Afghan desk, amazingly enough, 1993. Um, so it, it, just as as an aside, all the Taliban leadership who is now in power were were, you know, were certainly <laughs> kind of rising up back then. So I knew all them and I ended up spending a lot of time in Afghanistan over the years. Uh, but but after a couple of years, I wanted to you know I, I'd done some you know what we call temporary duty assignments TDYs in the Middle East, and I knew I wanted to become a case officer. So it's not a terribly difficult process of switching internally. So you know, eventually I went down the farm to our you know our our not so secret training school, um, and uh, you know for for about a year, and, and and I became a case officer, and that was really the the rest of my you know 22, 23 years of the career twenty three years of my career was spent mostly in the Middle East, about three years in Iraq Afghanistan, kind of crappy places, but. Great places, which I, I love the service. Um, And then I when I, re- uh, I retired the last two years, I was the deputy and then the chief uh, uh, of operations over Europe and Eurasia. So I thought I was going to get a break and then, you know, overseeing like Russia, Ukraine, Turkey. And that, that
0: didn't work. No, <laughs> not so much. You know, talk about a hotbed. And, you know, being like the Cold War era, like the 90s, it was like, oh, wow. You know, it's such a, a different time frame post 9-11. And, you know, because when I started, the, my career it was like 2000 with the, right. with the yeah. government before that was the military. So this was like pre-9-11. And then after that, we all know how the world changed.
1: It did. You know, I mean, when, 9-11 changed everything. You're right. I mean, I, I was actually man. in New York then. Um, and I was assigned to the joint, uh, joint Terrorism Task Force, which, you know, you know well. The oh, no way. I didn't know that. Yep. And, uh, and I remember about you know, a week after 9-11, walking through, you know, the rubble of the World Trade Center. Um, and, and, of course, everyone realized, you know, our whole lives had changed, not only as Americans, but as, in, you know, in, in government. Um, and then, really, the, you know, the majority of the rest of my time, even though I was posted overseas at different, you know, at different locations, it was it was counterterrorism,
0: um, which really. Even in '93, that's one. That's one of the questions I had for you because '93 was like, you know, it was still Cold War, it was still spooky stuff, it was right. still you know, blah, blah blah spy versus spy. But then you get the the first world first world trade center attack. Did you see like when your agency time? Did you see like a big change in in CT ops? Did they really, uh, is that right. when JTTFs really started popping up or was uh, it? You know,
1: a little bit, but not, of course, not like 9-11. I mean, you know, there were, there were certainly, it was the rise of Al Qaeda, of course, you know, and, and you know, uh, I, I remember I, I when I say I co-authored, that's a, that's a, that's a stretch. I probably just have my name on it. I probably wrote three sentences, but I, I technically co-authored a paper in 1993, 94 about um, the rise of the Afghan Arabs and a, and a prominent financier named Osama bin Laden. Uh, and so, so, you know, we, we were tracking this. And then, of course, things start happening. So right, the First World Trade Center, then you get to the, you know, the embassy bombings in, in Nairobi and in Dar es Salaam. And so really, Al Qaeda becomes this kind of kind of this bigger beast. But again, nothing compared to, um, you know, the time, resources, personnel put in after after 9-11. And really, the agency, you know, it's usually, you know, usually we shift like an aircraft carrier, like we're doing now, <laughs> as we move to kind of hard targets back back to what do you call it near peer China, Russia. But that, but after nine eleven, it was overnight. I mean, you know, just stunning amounts of money and resources that were put into CT, and and again, that's what we did. You know, for better or worse, you could, we can could have a long discussion on it was you know. And I'm really proud of what we did over those twenty years. Um, but you can also make the argument, you know, that that was at the expense of other other kinds of operations, like like China, Russia. Well, um, yeah,
0: you know, think about it. I mean, like because yeah. I read all the books, and you you've lived it. I've read the books, and you have like all the like the. The talk of like the Alex stations, you have like one desk for UBL and stuff like that. Right. And now we've had 20 years where it's all CT, not, but it's like real, like bona fide middle ECT. Yep. You know, yeah. you're training, you're getting more dynamic training. You're not doing the spooky stuff from what I see. I mean, and now it's like you have to kind of shift back to spy versus spy oh, where right. you're going to have to really start recruiting these assets and stuff like that.
1: So, you know, there's so much to talk about here. But, you know, so so in in counterterrorism operations, everything's kind of, you know, more short, or, you know, in the, in the near the short term. So we're still recruiting agents. You know, these are spies, but, you know, it's in a war zone, a conflict zone. And it's not going to be a long what we call developmental process. You know, it's not you're not kind of wooing a Chinese, you know, a MFA officer, or an intel officer, you know, a, you know, the recruitment of mm-hmm. a Chinese government official could take You know, months if not years. Um, In the CT world, it's very quick, so much more abbreviated. You know, one of the things, you know, again, you're in conflict zones, so you're not doing these traditional surveillance detection routes, which is the process of, you know, as you know of 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 securely meeting your agent. And so, you know, one of the interesting things is that when I would, even when I was posted, you know, in the Middle East and and counterterrorism, uh, you know, was was you know high on our operational directive. But you, but I'm not in Afghanistan or Iraq, so we still had other things to do. I would get officers coming off their first, you know, first assignments in in maybe Kabul or Baghdad. And they'd be all jazzed up and they'd come to a regular CI station. And they're like, all right, let's go. Like, I'm on my second tour. And I'd say, actually, you're not. As far as I'm concerned, you know, thank you for your year uh, in the war zones. And I did the same kind of thing. But all of our skills totally atrophied. So, you know, in the war zones, we would have our security guys or gals take us out on a surveillance detection route. You're not running it yourself. You're not making those decisions on your own. All of a sudden, you have to do that. And there's a process of kind of relearning and re-educating everybody. Um, And in particular, again, in in, in things like, you know, recruitment operations, where it takes a long, long time to convince, you know, uh, uh, you know, a foreign government official to spy for us, you know, in the CT world, you can meet an Al Qaeda guy, a Taliban guy, and and flip them pretty quickly. So really, it's a really different job, still really important. um, But it's just different skill set. And, and again, that's, that's why I think, you know, Bill Burns, the new CI director has talked about it, Gina Haspel did the former CI director, uh, you know, as well, but it's, it's moving that aircraft carrier to getting back to the more the kind of those traditional operations. And that's that's the right thing to do. Um, but it, it was it was a different job. You know, CT ops is, is different than hard target ops. There's no doubt.
0: Yeah, I can absolutely agree with that. You know, we've you know, the government transitions so much, but like at that aircraft speed and you have to you have to continue on your your skill set. You know, we're feds, you know, we're essentially all federal when in the fed government, your skill set changes, it changes with the times, it changes with the executive orders, it changes where the funding goes. And we all know where the funding goes now to Russia, to China, to those, to those big targets. And now the CT target goes away until something else happens.
1: Let me give you a perfect example. So I was, I was in Philly yesterday talking to the, the 18th district of the Philadelphia police department. Really, you know, you know, this is West Philly. This is some hard, there's there's some some tough things going on there. You know, it's it's they, they have they have incredible gun violence. They have shootings every night, murder. They you know I think Philadelphia is the number two country for homicides, uh, number two city for homicides in the country now behind Chicago. Um, and and you look at that and I was I was pretty I've been shocked in all my trips there. And I do go for kind of wellness and resiliency and leadership work with the with the Philly Police Department. But this time I went with a buddy of mine, former uh, member of the Joint Special Operations Command. Um, I won't say his name, but he was, you know, he was, he was uh, he's, he's, uh, just a total you know, true, true American hero. And we were talking about the kind of the counter drug mission. And I said, Hey, whatever happened to all of us doing this? Um, I said, you know, and, and I said, didn't you all in JSOC do some counter drug stuff? They said, he said, yeah, but after nine eleven, that all got shut off or a lot of it did. And uh, it's just interesting. So you're right. So we had that counter drug. I mean, do you remember the, the war on drugs? I think it was that Ronald Reagan started this. And then George I was, Bellman. I
0: was, that, I was in a height team in San Diego. I did a leadership. A tour. 9/11, boom,
1: everyone's yeah. doing CT, right? And uh, then, um, I, yeah, go ahead.
0: I was going to say, I did a height uh, leadership tour in Camden. Right. And, you know, doing jump outs with those guys in 2011. So, I mean, it's like the war on drugs is still underbelly there, but it's not the main mission of everybody anymore.
1: No. And and so you do. You're 100 percent right um, uh, that you just you know you kind of you got, you have to adapt to what the, you know our, our masters want us to go do. And, uh, um, and it, but but yeah, it is interesting. We're back to Be- you know we're back to Russia again. And and uh, and you know there, there's there's certain and certainly China and, and for good reason. Uh, but of course, then I also worry sometimes that that we're going to neglect our CT mission. And so you know there's a it's it's funny you always you always hear about you know um, incoming presidents. And on any, it doesn't matter what president during the campaign they can say whatever they want, and then the first day when they sit in the Oval Office and they get that, you know, those those they start getting the PDB and they say to themselves, "Holy shit, there's a lot of bad stuff Mm -hmm. happening in this world." So we got we got China, we got Russia, we got Middle East, we got drug issues. Um, You know, right now we have a land war in Europe, uh, uh, but then you have the Iran nuclear issue. I mean, there's a lot on any president's plate, and that mean that translates into what the national security establishment has to prioritize, and so. Um, you know, for the intelligence community, there's a lot going on.
0: Well, let's take it from that macro level of a lot going on, and talk about what you're doing in Philly. You know, I like to get down to the sure. the nitty gritty oh, yeah. of 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 mental health. And one thing I really think is unique about your background is you have such a a culturally diverse background. I.e., you've experienced different cultures, you've learned how to integrate in with them, you've learned how to observe them, you've learned how to capitalize on what you've observed now me has been in law enforcement for a long time now and dealing with a lot of police and everything i always bring up cultural geography and i always bring up the like. okay you guys have these you have these uh, cops working the 18th in philly they're seeing some shit and they're like you know what they don't really there's so much going on in that city and so many different cultures that it's kind of cool to bring someone you in there like say you know take a step back. And when you're looking at the demographics you're working with, maybe that could kind of intercede into your mental health as well, saying maybe because sometimes you just don't understand what's going on. And then you're like, that's why these these people are doing this thing.
1: So it's interesting. So, you know, it was it was a couple years ago. I started thinking about, um, you know, the similarities between uh, between my life as a case officer uh, and 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 kind of the role of police in society. And and it started with you know look like, look like everybody sees well it, it, at least at least my notion was you know these are two institutions that um, that are absolutely critical for the United States to to thrive um, you know it is they are indispensable yet with both institutions your failures are thrown or are, are splashed on the front page of every paper you know in America and sometimes for good reason um, but your successes nobody knows. And, you know, and it's, it's the it's the kind of jobs where you re- really have to be mentally tough. No one's going to give you a pat in the head. So you don't join the CIA to get a lot of accolades and you don't become a cop. You know, for that for that same reason, you have to have that inner strength and mental toughness. Um, and that and so so what was what, what I what I it was totally over social media. I met a guy named Matt Gillespie, who was the captain of the 18th. And he said, hey, I read your book on leadership. You know, would you come out? Because my cops are hurting. Um, because you know uh, last year was maybe you know last year the, there was two massive riots in Philadelphia um, mm-hmm. uh, and and you can call them well, for whatever reason and it's it is it's much more you know uh, you know nuanced and complicated so it wasn't just the black lives matter riot it, you know protest peaceful protests there were insane riots there um there were burning cars they were shut down the city they they were trying to kill police officers and he said so he said, mark, can you come talk to my cops because everyone is hurting there and and the reason why I understood this is that you know I just came off of a career where literally for twenty years we did some really hard stuff in Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria and other places, and I had also spent some time at, at Walter Reed because um, I had been diagnosed with a with a traumatic brain injury. So I and I have tons of friends from the JSOC community. So I knew that my friends who were you know were in Delta or the SEALs or, or you know or, or Green Berets um, or Air Force Combat Controllers, whoever, they were all hurting too. I knew them personally, and you know there's there's a horrible problem with veteran suicide. Twenty two veterans a day kill themselves. Um, it's stunning. Just a couple of weeks ago, a former Gold Squad member from SEAL Team Six killed himself. I mean, it's it's awful. So this, I I had this whole idea in my mind that you know boy we have really been hurting, and then I hear about these cops, and and one of the things I've been been talking about is is the is because the need for for you know wellness and resiliency, and and I, and I always tell a story that I, I showed up at the U.S. Embassy in Sanaa, Yemen couple years, uh, you know, before it closed. And I remember going and it actually, it's actually a pretty nice place. And and on, on on the the grass outside, I saw a whole bunch of people doing yoga and I'm like, what the hell is this? Who's doing yoga? And it was, it was a bunch of CI officers and and a whole bunch of SEAL team six guys doing yoga. And I was like, what is going on here? But that was kind of eye opening for me because it had to do again with wellness. And so as I've kind of gone forward and as I go talk to, you know, especially cops and, uh, 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 or others, um, it's the idea of taking care of yourself. Um, so, so, you know, what do you do when you wake up in the morning? Well, you know, you open your eyes, you go have a cup of coffee and then you, and everything is under your control. So, you know, got to hydrate, you got to eat right. Nutrition's huge. By the way, your sleep the night before is, is, is enormous. If you don't sleep well as an elite high performer, you know, you degrade by 10%. And so all of these are things you can control. You can do, you know, meditation, deep breathing techniques, journaling. There's all these kind of, kind of new agey type stuff, but, but my old world and the special operations world is doing this now. Um, and so I wanted to pass this. And the, the last piece is that the idea to have any kind of mental health issues is actually kind of normal. If you are a cop in Kensington, in Philadelphia, where it looks like the, the walking dead zombies walking around, people shooting up openly, um, you know, incredible violence, total disrespect of to the police. So how do you as a cop, just like how did me after three years in war zones kind of come back and, and, and how do you take care of yourself? And I guess one of the the, the message I have to the, the you know, to the Philadelphia cops or law, enforce, law enforcement in general is you don't want to end up going and getting treatment when you're 50. you got to start these practices that I just told, told you about. Nutrition, sleep, um, uh, exercise, you know, fitness is huge, even if it's for, you know, I, I, I tell them 14 minutes and 24 seconds. That's 1% out of 24 hours, 1% of your day. Do exercise for that and you're fine. Um, and so, you know, do that early in your career, though. So if you take care of yourself early in your career, um, it's pretty extraordinary. And, and, you know, and look, I mean, cops, you know, there's all sorts of, you know, silly vignettes about them, you know, eating crappy food, but it's but they eat crappy food because they're on shift all the time. But you don't have to. And I remember my last trip down to Virginia Beach to, to, to the Naval, Naval uh, Special Warfare, their cafeteria like, doesn't have soda. There's no cake. You know, so they they and they have mental performance coaches. They have you know tons of uh uh you know of, of access to resources to do things um to keep you kind of uh fit you know you know mind and body. And police forces don't.
0: This episode brought to you by Big Tech's Ordinance. Everything you need for your AR, your Glock, your Staccato, your Walther PDP. Everything you need, and the greatest thing about it, it is super fast shipping. This is like one of those big box areas you order online, if you know what I'm talking about, Amazon. you order it. It says it's in stock. They are shipping most likely that same day because you know why? They have it in stock on their shelves. The great thing too is they have optics, optics, optics. I just ordered an optic for my Walther PDP. Boom. Three days later, it's on my gun. Now head over to Big Tech's Ordnance, see what they got going on, and order some of that in-stock items you need. And hey, Use code protectors for a special discount on most items. BigTexOrdnance.com.
1: So anyway, so it's just my going down informally, kind of talking to talking to these folks from Philly. I love doing it. The, the reaction is amazing. And, you know, I was talking, we were talking to the Philly SWAT guys, toughest SOBs in the world. Uh, you know, so, th- you know, they are in armed combat uh, often. Um, and they started opening up and that they were having, you know, trouble with transitions from their job to going back home and, and then, and then sit and go and talk to the detectives, same kind of thing, what they see every day. And so I just, you know, I, I like doing this stuff. I think it's important. But, you know, you want to kind of help take care of, you know, the protectors, like exactly what we're kind of talking about.
0: Yeah, that's the thing about getting into the government and stuff and getting into the policing world. You have this huge honeymoon phase. It could last anywhere from a year to three four years where you're like, wow, I, I got in this job to do this. You kind of still enjoy going to work every day. You know, you're, you're making a change and then it starts slowly wearing on you. And you're like, huh, your physical fitness starts going down. You start eating bad. You start drinking, uh, the stress level boils up. First marriage goes, second marriage goes, but you have to, if you start these techniques in the beginning and you start treating it like what it is, it's, it's a job, it's part of your life, but it's not your hundred percent identity. And the thing is like, when you, I guarantee you, when you first went into agency, and i know cuz when i first went in in the government and first went in the military that was my identity yep nothing else i only wanted to hang out with people that did the same type of things i did now it, i'm damn near 50 years old and I'm, my my sphere has gone out where i hang out with anybody that's you know not an asshole but back <laughs> then right, yeah. it's it's like back then it's like you know you have this honeymoon phase where you're like hey you know what it's, it's us versus them. It's me. I'm here to, I'm going to save the world. And, but you got to remember, like there's a lot going on. Don't try to yes, take you know, this whole world and put it on your right. shoulders.
1: I agree with you so much. It's funny. I mean, you, you, you talked about exactly like one of the cops I talked to yesterday who said that, you know, as his, you know, as he got into maybe his 15th year of his career, you know, and it was so easy because he's on shift work, you know, you're your cop, you're on shift work. So that means, you know, so it's not like you come off, you, you, you know, you don't have your weekends, um, you know, and you're working nights, which means, you know, you're going to hang out with your fellow cops all the time. And he said, you know, later on in his career, he tried to actually move away from that and stop doing that. Not because he didn't love, love the job or love his brothers and sisters in law enforcement. It's, it's like this isn't, you know, it, he was too caught up in that identity part. Now for me, it's, it's it, what a, what a great question because, um, uh, I know for my mental health, how important it is for me to move away from that kind of agency world. And I still have tons of friends there. Um, but I also, you know, one of the things with my, with the, with the book, Clarity in Crisis, I do a lot of talks to sports teams, um, particularly baseball teams. I'm a huge baseball fan. So I'll talk to high school and college teams all the time. And that to me is, you know, is, is great just stepping out of our world that we're talking about now. And so, and it, but it's about leadership in times of crisis, but this is, you know, when you're losing three, one in the bottom of the ninth inning, you know, what does that mm-hmm. mean? So it's not, it's not war, it's not death. And it's important to, to kind of, you know, translate some of these leadership lessons to kind of, you know, <laughs> normal mm-hmm. folks, um, and, and you know, the, there's the old adage: you can't love your job because it it won't love you back. Um, and I did love the job, but but it's also a place. You know, there, there's a weird thing about I don't know if you found this. But there's a weird thing about CIA that people leave angry all the time, um, and it's it's just not it's it's an amazing phenomenon. These are you know these are people who reached the you know senior intelligence service had incredible careers. You know, maybe they didn't get the last job to be the next deputy director of operations, but it's okay because they were a division chief. But they leave angry, and you know, and this is—it's incredible how this happens. And so, you know, that's not good. And so, you, you got to you know, have Mark. I got—I got
0: to stop you right there, man, because I—I yeah. I laugh because I'm like, it's not just that; it's not just—it's—it's it's the entire federal government, its entire. Right. I think it, it goes back to that that phase where when you first join, and you're like, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna make a change, but then when you're hitting the twilight of your career, like I'm, I'm in the twilight. I got 200 something days left. And I'm like, I'm almost like, whoa, is this it? But I won't go out angry because I'll tell you my little little speech here in a minute. But yeah, it's like uh, so many people get out angry. And they're so angry that they didn't get the title. They didn't get this. They didn't get that. And I tell you what, I was the same way until I hit uh, somewhere in my 40s. I used to always do this professional resume, I call it. Where I'm like, I get every certification. I'm a damn doctor. I got masters. I got certified this, certified that, writing books, doing this, that. Um, I have like my professional resume is incredible. But it was that. It was for the job. It was for a title. It was for this was that. And one day I was like, you know what? I haven't worked on my my personal resume. Uh, My personal resume is podcasting. It's enjoyable. I get to talk to people. I get to just, it's like therapy to me. Um, Hanging out. Ruck marching, biking, doing, uh, writing books, helping other people out. That's my that's my personal resume. But I don't need a title for that, and I don't need accolades. I don't need to take a picture and put it on social media saying, "Look, I gave a blanket to a homeless person." No, I inside know that all that professional resume stuff. Nobody gives a shit if you're an SES, SIS, deputy, director of anything, until. Two three years later, when you get out and you're no longer worth it to the corporate sector because you don't have those same connections you did when you're in, nobody cares. Unless you work on your personal life, if not, you're going to leave disgruntled and you're going to be burnt out. That's my, speech. <laughs> no,
1: one, but I agree totally. The one thing to add to that also has to do with your personal life, and so yeah, it, you know, I, my, my, I have two kids, both in college, you know, uh, and 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 I'm still married to the same woman. We're you know we're celebrating our 25th anniversary this year. And that's unusual because a lot of my friends definitely have broken marriages. Their kids don't speak to them. Um, you know, it's, again, it is an incredibly stressful job at, at, as a CIA, as a case officer. You work at night. That's it. You know, you know I would tell I mean, you know, the, the, the idea of work-life balance, like we're getting better at that and all this resiliency stuff, you know, that, that I believe and I talk about now is important. But the bottom line is you work at night and that's very stressful you know you know in the last 20 years with all the time in in the conflict zones you know you will be gone you know you know for for months if not years at a time and so that really takes a toll and and so you know the one thing that that i'm proud of is that you know my my kind of family situation is you know you know somehow you know probably cuz my kids and my wife you know rather than me but they you know that that stayed stable um and that's really important to me because i really do and this just sounds it's just sad but i see a lot of my friends who are super successful but there's a lot of stuff going on um, in their personal lives. And because, you know, at the end of the day, like it's not worth it. I don't care what you did for the, for the government, for the country, but if you're sitting there alone, you know, down in your, you know, your, your six bourbon that night um, and you're in your little apartment somewhere, your kids hate you and your wife is on, you know, on on the next or spouse is on the next uh, marriage. I don't know. I kind of question that. So you really—you know—that's where
0: that's where a lot of the suicide comes in too, especially especially in law enforcement. You're seeing it because you've you've spent years with military and a lot of military brethren that worked alongside you. You notice that there's 22 a day, yep. but it's not a new phenomena that police have a such a high high yeah. level of suicide. And a lot of that has, does have to do with the stigma. But the other part too is when they get out. Whether that's from a medical retirement or whether that's what they did for 20, 25 years and they're forced out, they don't have that brotherhood, sisterhood anymore. They right. don't have that, that, that thin blue line that they've been hanging with for the past 20 something years. And that is where it's imperative that you build these relationships before you pull the plug. And that's if right. you, if you get out before and you can't help getting out, start building relationships, start finding another network because it is not us against them. And there is, it's still true. I, I preach it all the time that stigma we're, we're, we're getting over the stigma, but it's still out there. Oh, sure. I, believe me, I know I, I'll talk in 260 days. I'll talk about my, my issues with stigma with my current agency and, right. and reaching out to get help. But it all comes down to the little things you brought up before leadership, resiliency, and being able to. Be a leader. I'm glad you're talking to captains. I'm glad you're talking to people in leadership so their sure. people can come forward. And I'm glad that the Philly captains calling up and having you come talk about it, because if you and, don't, I you went through, this yeah. Philly
1: captain, is he, his name is Mac Gillespie. He's one hell of a leader and he's gutsy to do this. And, and, and I'm sure, you know, when I, when I, you know, and this is also the thing he's not getting permission from police headquarters. When we roll in there, he tells him after the fact, and he's like, I'll just, I'll, you know, <laughs> Uh, but, but because, because there still is that resistance. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the other thing is like, what the hell is this, you know, former JSOC dude and this former CIA guy? And that's, you know, from, from me, said, what are they doing here? Um, uh, you know, but, but ultimately it's, it's the right thing to do. Um, and, and, you know, the, the kind of the stigma of mental health is something that I saw at CIA. Um, certainly you see it in, in the military. Um, and it's something that, that, you know, I, I think I got involved with in terms of kind of in the, in the philanthropy, there's a, there's a foundation that I, um, really support I'm on the board it's unpaid but it's called Soundoff and, and it's it, it, it essentially is, a, is an app on your phone which allows for anonymous which is key anonymous mm-hmm. mental health services so you know you know you don't if you're you know if you're down at in Virginia Beach or if you're down at Fort Bragg you know you don't go to your you don't have to go to your you know your leadership you can do this truly anonymously um, because there are a lot of resources out there uh, if you're willing to go get them but most people won't because you're going to lose your clearances lose your TDY yeah. status you know, you're going to be ostracized, you know, th- especially with, you know, things like PTS, but really with TBI and, and other mental health issues, this is an invisible wound. So you can't go to your, your you know, in, your brothers and sisters and say, I got to take a knee because my head hurts. You know, if you get shot, you can do that. And so, um, uh, but it, it, to me, it's, a uh, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's so important to do this. Um, and you know, it, that it's just, it's, it's the idea of just helping people. And one of the things, you know, at the end of my career is interesting. So I have all this, you know, you you know, come on down to Vienna, down the street, and I can have a <laughs> bourbon in my basement. You'll see all my, you know, my hero wall, all the medals I have and all this kind of crap. Um, none of that matters to me anymore because at, at the end of my career, it was the idea of passing the torch to the next generation. You know, the, that, that kind of that mentorship piece is what really kind of got me going. Um, and now it's the idea of just helping people with with wellness and, and and you know, and resiliency because, because I mean, you know, that it helped me. I, I went through a one-month TBI program with Walter Reed. Um, and taught me these things, and I wish I'd done it earlier in my career. And so the idea of of meditating, I thought, you know, I, 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 are, you, what, are you kidding me? Or deep breathing exercises? Except that everybody's doing this now, who's who's trying to take care of themselves. And if you talk to, you know, um, you know, it, it, you know, I think that what, what is interesting to me is is it, it resonates in the elite units in the military, the intelligence community. If you see elite athletes doing this, and they're doing it. And so, uh, because because the the idea is what? Well, you just kind of want to get better, or you want to be able to you know extend your career another decade. It's not that we're soft. It's not that you're you know you you know you're you're, you want to do yoga, put your yoga pants on. (laughs) You know, (laughs) but it's the idea of just being healthy and extending your you know your kind of viability as an operator. And so um, that's what I love doing, just talking about kind of kind of stuff like that. Because you know, at the end of the day, these are every one of these jobs are public service jobs. I mean, all my friends from college are really rich and I'm not.
0: <laughs> so. You know what? It doesn't come down to the money. And that's the thing is you can go and get the corporate gig and this and that and everything. But is that the right mission? Is that going to be a fulfilling mission? I'm now familiar. you're on a mission, yeah. right. you know, and, yeah. and you, you talk about the sound off, you talk about going and, and speaking to cops and stuff. It's a mission for you. Yep. It's just different agency. Now it's like your own personal agent. You're doing your thing. And I do want to say with people that, you know, use apps like sound off or, or go seek mental health. Is you may get the first person you talk to, you might not jive. Go to the next one. It took me five people, five before I found like the first person that like. And I always tell people, I'm like, you know, anybody who's listened to my podcast heard me tell the story a million times about, you know, when I when I finally found a counselor that I could talk to, it was an older lady in her sixties, and we started talking about zombies.
1: There you go. You know,
0: and like, hey, you know what? If a zombie attack, you've been in law enforcement for a long time. If a zombie, I'm like, okay, let's let's do this. But we melded and she knew that you couldn't use typical because, you know, if you've been around interviewing Mm -hmm. interrogation for a long time, as as such people in the agency and and law enforcement have, you can kind of tell when someone's bullshitting you. And when you get someone that's a counselor or a psychologist or anything like that and they're not there for, you know, they don't seem like they're there for the right reasons, you kind of. Shy off from them. So find oh, the right on. mental health. So I mean, oh, I'm going to tell,
1: tell you a great story with this. So, I, you know, I sp- again, I spent a month at Walter Reed, and of course, you know, there's psychologists, there's ps- psychiatrists. So, and I, I wasn't ge- gelling with any of these folks. And I remember someone was like, All right, so let's start talking about your parents' divorce when you were 10. I'm just like, frickin' kill me now. This is not what I need. <laughs> and, and it was, we were not getting along well. Um, uh, and then out of nowhere, some, you know, a, a, a kind of a grizzled old Marine chaplain. Uh, shows up chappy of course and so and, and he sits down he's me and, and one guy from naval special warfare one guy from uh, cct from the air force combat controller um and he's like look i'm gonna go talk to everybody individually but you know where are you guys now what do you think and i'm like I, i'm grumbling i'm like hey look you know the shrinks aren't working for me and he's like well you know what are they doing and, he, and but his first thing he goes he goes, hey i know you you know everyone here has done a lot of stuff the last 20 years so is anyone here regret you know killing any bad guys killing any terrorists and the answer is no. And don't, you know, completely. No, that's not why we're here to talk to you. And he's like, good. So let's go on with what's really going on. Um, because with the psychiatrist, we're kind of di- trying to dive into stuff about me that I'm like, this is not working. I need something else. And so, um, at the end of it, as I was doing my kind of one-on-ones with this, uh, with this, uh, uh Marine chaplain, he just got me same thing. We totally, totally, j- and I had a lot of, a lot of anxiety, and a lot of kind of um, resentment towards some things that happened to me, you know, in, in my career and some 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 people. And he, But he taught me something. It's incredible. Um, he said, you just got to learn how to forgive. He taught me about forgiveness. And I said, well, you know, I, I mean, a lot of people try to screw me on, on some things. He's like, well, we're not we're not saying it's OK, but don't let that anger build up in you. Like you got to go on and live your life and just, you know, forgive folk. It's OK to do that. I love this dude, and you know, and I I still talk to him. And uh, again, it's you're right because because I didn't kind of gel with some of the um, other mental health professionals, but the Marine Corps chaplain, this 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 guy was wonderful. (laughs) Loved it. Out of all things, I couldn't believe it.
0: And that's what you need. You just need to find the right one, and it's worth it. Yeah. You know, you don't need to do it for the rest of your life. You don't need to do a lot of things, but just find something that's going to work for you. Now, I got a really important question for you. You said you grew up in Central Jersey. Yep. Now that's going to be, this could be a tough one for you. Now you have the South Jersey people and you have the North Jersey people and you have Taylor Ham or pork roll. What is it? Oh, is it go. Taylor Ham or is it pork roll? I don't know. I don't, I don't I'm know. always,
1: I, I get asked this question. I never know. I don't know.
0: You know I'm always it, it, Taylor it, it, Ham, salt, pepper, egg, you know.
1: It, I, it's, I love you know, to it. you're, you're This is like the third person who's asked me this question. And I keep saying, I don't know. And they said, You're really not from New Jersey. I'm like, But I am. That's I'm, from, I'm from New Central. Central Jersey. That's right. Now, I will say that, you know, everyone from South Jersey really, you know, uh, uh, might as well be from Philly because they're all Flyers mm-hmm. fans or, or, or Phillies fans or, or, or Eagles fans, God forbid. Um, uh, and so, you know, no, I grew up in, uh, in Central Jersey. So I'm, you know, New York Giants fan. Um, but my biggest thing was New York Rangers, you know, growing up, big hockey fan. But of course, Just to make things really complicated, when I was uh, when I was little, we went up to kind of Martha's Vineyard and Cape Cod a lot. So I became a Red Sox fan when I was really young. So I'm all over the place. So yeah, but I I, look, I love, I love growing up in New Jersey. I'm a staunch defender of New Jersey, and and I'll tell you why. Because you know, and I see the way you know. I love my children. I love my family. But but you know, we live in Northern Virginia, and it's it's just soft here. Because when I grew up, my parents would my parents got divorced when I was young. 12 years old, me and my buddies would jump on the train in New Brunswick to go into Madison Square Garden. We'd be gone. I'd come home at two in the mm-hmm. morning. I mean, I mean, and so I learned how to be, it probably helped me in my life as a case officer. I was completely independent and street smart um, and literally going and, you know, walking in, in the East Village, you know, in New York City, going to Canal Jeans, trying to act cool and buy some cool clothes um, <laughs> when I was 13 years old, like crazy stuff. And, and I wouldn't let my kids take the, take the Metro here in DC until they were, mm-hmm. you know, in college. <laughs> so it taught me to be kind of kind of a little
0: more gritty i think it's a garden state i was born in bootin good old bootin right by <laughs> denville and then i grew up by uh up by the pocon i was off exit 12 or route 80 and then, but right. for the last like go. years before i came out to here it was it was south jersey well brother i appreciate you coming on everybody make sure you check out mark's book uh clarity in crisis leadership lessons from the cia i expect to be getting a signed one here soon Drinking suburban. Uh, We'd love well, to it. right
1: down the road. Let's do it.